So here's the thing, entrepreneurs, leaders, salespeople, we all want to create consistent, repeatable, and scalable ways to grow our business and our income. And we want to do it better, faster, and more seamlessly. Why? So we can actually enjoy our lives, take vacations, and spend the quality time we want with the people that we love. How do we do all this without spending a fortune or running ourselves ragged? That's the big question, and this show is dedicated to the answer. Hey guys, welcome back to the podcast. Super excited to have Mike Del Prete with me in the house. Uh, if you don't know that name, you're certainly going to get to know this guy really well on this podcast. He is a global tech strategist and certainly recognizes an expert in the space. He's a guy that creates unbelievable amounts of content to keep us all educated so we can make good decisions about our real estate practice, our agent practice, and a brokerage and more. Um, but he also spends a lot of time in real estate tech, starting around 2015, 16 from memory. Uh, so Mike, welcome to the show. Thanks, Tom. Happy to be here. Yeah, thank you so much. So broadcasting live from New Zealand on your end. New Zealand just went into a little lockdown, so we might have some walkie, uh, wonky Wi-Fi moments, but everybody healthy, happy on your end? Yeah, no, everyone's good here. But um. Yeah, happy to be here in, in New Zealand. You know, we've been here for a little over a year now. I used to live here in the past. And yeah. yeah, with the recent lockdown, I think, you know, my kids are online. All the kids are online. Everybody's online. It's, right. it's, everybody's at home. So the, uh, the little pipe under the Pacific is at maximum stress right now. Yes, yes. Well, thank you again for being here. Um, I know a lot of people like they want to talk about real estate tech and we have a lot of things we're going to cover in this podcast for my listeners out there. Um, but Mike, would you take a minute and maybe give them a little deeper dive into your background so they have some greater context? Like I was, you know, looking at like Agora and then, you know, I, I, my, my highlights were things like Guitar Hero, Call of Duty, right? And then Trade Me because I know it from New Zealand. So you've got a rich history in, in building tech and being a part of tech and then you transition to real estate but maybe just maybe unpack just a little of that so people have context before we go hard on all the real estate stuff. Yeah, sure. Happy to. Um, <clears throat> so if you go way back, right out of college, I started a tech company. You know, I didn't want to work for anybody else. My parents were entrepreneurs. I thought, all right, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to launch a tech company. Um, it happened to be in the video gaming space. You know, we kind of pivoted our way there. I'd, I'd like to say I just woke up with this great idea, but, you know, it wasn't the case. It, it took some time to get there. Sure. And yeah, in, in doing that, we, we got to work on some really cool franchises like Guitar Hero and Call of Duty. Kind of it, this was the emergence of things going online right. and interacting with people online. So that was um, that was a lot of fun. I, I did that for about five or six years and then sold it. Um, never raised any venture capital. So, you know, my my philosophy is more of, you know, it's not about spending other people's money. It's about spending my own money. So. I, I really value good businesses. I know what it's like to run a business and to have to watch every dollar in and out. Yeah. So I, I, I did that, um, <clears throat> you know, kind of stuck around for my earn out two years. And then the family and I, we just kind of spun the globe, put the finger on New Zealand and said, all right, let's, let's move somewhere else. Uh, the kids were young, wanted to kind of experience another part of the world. Yeah. So we, we picked up and, and headed over here to New Zealand and, and we lived here for four years. And, um, you know, at that point, I, I joined this company called TradeMe, which you're familiar with it. It's, it's like the biggest internet conglomerate of the country, right? We yeah. own all these marketplace and classified yeah. businesses. Yeah. If you want to buy or sell a car, buy or sell property, buy or sell a chair, anything, you kind of yes. go to, you go to TradeMe. And my, my job there was heading up strategy, uh, which meant kind of charting the strategy for the business and also looking for investment opportunities, companies to buy and, and invest in. 
And that, that was fun. Um, and that was kind of my first foray into the world of online real estate. You know, I, I kind of naturally bought and sold properties before then, but sure. um, one of our businesses was like the Zillow of New Zealand. So really got into property. And, and when, um, when I left Trade Me and we moved back to the States in 2016, I said, all right, I'm gonna focus in real estate tech. It's just, for whatever reason, I was particularly interested in new models that are changing the way people buy and sell houses. Yes. And I'm a data guy, you know, so I wanted to find the data and I wanted to find evidence. It's not about who raised some money or who issued a press release, but like yeah. what's actually working out there. Right. And um, yeah, it's been kind of a fun ride, you know, the past four or five years, just looking internationally, trying to connect the dots, see what's working, yep. see what's not working, happening there. So I, I'd like to say I'm like super passionate about real estate and and I, I am about the change, but, you know, really it's just the confluence of of a lot of great stuff. It's a, it's a cool space. Um, it's big and there's a lot of change and it's also a hard space, right? Like, yes. I don't know how the industry is going to play out. It's, it's really hard. And I like intellectually challenging situations. So it's uh, it's great from that perspective. Well, a couple of things, you know, for someone that reads your content, I certainly encourage everybody to go to his website and, and sign up on his newsletter and start reading his content. Um, you can hear actually, now that I think about what you shared here, like the way you started your business, you bootstrapped it up, you didn't raise capital. And I can, I can totally pick up on that psychology in how you view other businesses. Like these people have raised all this money. It's, and I'm not saying you're calling some of these companies irresponsible, but when you lose like $30,000 every time you buy a house, it does make you question like what's really going on here, but I'm getting a little ahead of myself. Um, so you chose real estate because I look at it the same way you do. There's been almost no change until really just the last call it eight to 10 years of real change, like true quote unquote disruption. The, the late great Ken Jenny, a longtime friend of mine who passed away a year ago or less than a year ago, uh, Kenny would always say to me back in like 1992, 1993, this industry is going to blow up unless they do something about it. So now here we are, we find ourselves with, I think four or five major things that we should discuss. And for my friends that are listening, understand, I want to keep you informed. That's why I'm bringing on Mike. I want to keep you in a position to defend your position against the disruption, right? And whether that's just being aware of it so you can articulate the different degrees of separation between what you're doing, what others are doing to buyers and sellers. But at the end of the day, I want you to be the recognized expert in your local marketplace. And to do that, you've got to be well-informed. So Mike, I want to look at four things from this short little 160 page report uh, that I've gone through a couple of times and marked up and sort of synthesize it down to four buckets that I think my listeners would really like to get your insight on. Uh, the rise of iBuyers and what we think that's gonna look like in the future. Real estate psychology, specifically how are humans addressing home buying and selling from a mindset standpoint, from a psychology standpoint, power buyers, which I think some are gonna to have to understand what that means. I certainly get it from the way you defined it. And then ultimately, where do you see agents in the future? So let's just start with number one. Like let's talk to us about the rise of iBuyer, you know, open doors, Zillow, OfferPad, and Redfin that's completely flat, but they're still out there and so many others that are trying to get in the space. What do agents need to understand about iBuyers and then We'll get into how we can defend our positions and all that good stuff as well. Yeah. That's a big, broad question. I know. <laughs> there's a lot, there's a lot to unpack there. I know. Um, well, if, if we kind of, if we go back to my personal story, you know, like I, I came back to the States in 2016, yeah. I was interested in new models that are changing the way buy and sell houses. And that's, that's when open door started. Right. right. So it was really kind of this, this perfect timing. And if you think about models that change, 
change the way somebody buys and sells. Like I bought was the only one at the time that, that really was trying something radically new. You know, it wasn't just yeah. bringing certain things online or digitizing this or speeding that up. They, they kind of yeah. cleared the table and said, we're going we're gonna to give you a whole new path from A to B. And, yeah. um, and it's a really interesting proposition, you know? So it was, it was a fun company to watch. And I remember spending, you know, I'd, I'd be spending my evenings going through MLS records and public property records on Redfin right. and just kind of like trying to, trying to follow the data and see what's, see what's going on there. <clears throat> so I think, yeah, iBind was kind of the biggest thing to happen to the space since the, the advent of the real estate portal, you know, Zillow and Trulia and Realtor.com a, a decade before. Um, the proposition, you know, really compelling, right? Just kind of forget about having to worry about all this stuff and we'll just give you an instant offer on your home and you can move out whenever you want. And then you're, and then you're done with it from a business model standpoint, there was, I was fascinated by kind of what was, what was happening there, how they were planning on money and, and how they pivoted and changed their, changed their model over time. I, I guess, I mean, to answer your question, then I'll let you kind of yeah. direct it where you want to yeah, go, but like, exactly. what, what, what do we need to know? I mean, the, I think the biggest thing <clears throat> that I've been trying to communicate to the industry for the past couple of years is iBuyers are here to stay. They're not going away. They have raised and spent billions of dollars on this model. And they're, they're ad like a lot of that money gets spent on advertising, right? Like, you know, God forbid you live in Phoenix, but you've probably been inundated right, with iBuyer right. ads and commercials yep. and billboards for years now. So consumers know about this. Consumers know there's a new way to sell your home and they're going to start asking questions. So you just, you got to be aware, like there's this new game in town. You can't ignore it. I don't think you should dismiss it, but yeah. you should really, like you said, Tom, kind of understand it and, and be able to, as an agent, act as an expert advisor to guide somebody through the process. Maybe iBind is right for a homeowner. Don't steer them away from it. You know, you got to do what's right for them. Maybe it's right for them. It's not right for everybody, but right. maybe it's, maybe it's right for them. It's so hard to even, you know, I can imagine somebody right now in Phoenix who just wants to shoot themselves or, or Raleigh, North Carolina, or now, you know, Houston, Austin, Dallas, et cetera, where this has become the norm and so many other, you know, so many other major cities in the U.S. Um, like you were, you were kind enough to publish like transaction data. So from memory, I want to say it was like 0.2% or 0.5% of all the transactions in the U.S., which doesn't sound like a lot, but it, it appears that they're picking up more and more momentum. So what insight do you have on the data and, and the number of transactions and what is that telling you about what could be their market share? Yeah, it's a good question. So uh, kind of be pre-pandemic, 2018, 2019, yeah. na nationally, they were like half a percent market share. Right. Which is, it, it's unfair because they weren't national at the time. They were like yeah. super centralized in those cities you've talked about. Um, market share in, in those cities, you know, Phoenix would be the biggest one, right? It's kind of, you know, five, 6%. That's, that's yep. where we were at. And, and yep. Phoenix is the, you know, the mother of all iBuyer cities, right? It is, yep. it's perfect. Um, others, you know, maybe two, 3% market share. Uh, and, and, you know, during the pandemic, it just kind of dipped really low, but last, um, last quarter, you know, the last three months, iBuyers bought more homes than ever before. Yep. So they're, they're back, they're back in a really big way. Yeah. Um, you know, and that's not just more than 2020, that's more than 2019, 20, like any other time period They're It's huge. They're buying tons and tons of houses and, you know, we can get into that why later, but um, in terms of how big it is, I mean, I've never been, I don't have a crystal ball, right? 
All I can go on is is the data of the past and the present, tell you what's happened, what's happening, and you can kind of connect the dots and figure out where we might go. Um, I've I've never been someone who thought, oh, iBind is the future of real estate. It's going to be 50% of total transactions or even 20%, right? You've you've got like the mother of all iBuyer markets, a high point market share is like six or seven, where they've been five, six years, spent hundreds of millions of dollars. You've got a second tier of markets where you're at a couple percent market share. You know, the, the evidence shows me that this is kind of a high single digit market share situation, right? right? right. Um, it appeals to some people and that's that's the amount. Like the other way to think about it, Tom, right? If you're in Phoenix, you've been inundated with this stuff for years and years and years. But still, if you want to sell your home, 95% of people still choose the traditional way. Of course. You actually did a really nice job with one of your slides where you actually showcased you know, here's, here's the sort of way to look at commission, right? You took like Compass as an example, charging two and a half to three. And I'm, you know, Compass, Coal Banker, Banana Real Estate could have been anyone. I'm just having to be Compass. And then Redfin at 1%. And then Open Door at like 7%, like a, a premium cost for whatever convenience that this is offering. Do you have any insight on, on who is the ideal prospect for that? Like who's, who says, I'm going to pay infinitely more for that convenience? <laughs> Yeah, kind of non-intuitively, it's pe- it's people with kids and pets, right? Interesting. That's like, well, it's kind of that's the closest. You know, I'm not sure. going to say that's a. By the way, that's a big. Yeah, that's a big group of people. <laughs> yes. But it, it, you know, one of the biggest um, one of the biggest pain points is open houses. Yeah. And you, you hear it, right? If you hear an open door commercial on the radio, like yeah. they're talking about the pain of open houses. So having an open house, if you have kids, is a real pain, right? You got to like keep it clean and get the kids out every time there's yeah. an open home. Um, same thing with pets. You know, you're going to have an open home. It, it smells like dog and you right. got to get your three crazy dogs out of the house every time your realtor wants to show it. So, I, you know, I've, I've asked time and time again and looked at the data. I mean, demographically, it's not just young people. It's not just older people. Typically, it's folks who've, who've gone through some transactions before and they know the pain of, of real estate. Um, and it's also people that, that don't want to deal with an open home. Um, it's, it's somebody who, who values the convenience of that instant offer, right? right. I just I don't want to worry about everything else. I want it to be done quick. And that could be somebody with kids or a dog. That could be somebody who's um, kind of inherited a house as part of an estate sale and they just don't want to travel to Florida to sell it. You know, I mean, it could be, it could be anything, but basically it's anybody who kind of values the convenience of that instant offer. So do you, do you think it, my mind always goes to, so the, how do I help my clients defend their position, right? If you listen to your competitor's ads and you say, now what's my variation of that? Like I'm going to sell it for more essentially for less cost. And I'm still going to remove all the hassles. You want no open houses, but the highest possible price at the lowest cost. I'm your gal. I'm your guy. Do you think that's the strategy for agents or, you know, they got to know about it, especially if you're in Phoenix, right? Like, and, and they probably tried everything you could imagine on their postcards, trying to basically say no to open door, no to Zillow, which is probably the wrong strategy, but instead here's what I'm for. And this is what I stand for. And these are the things I'm going to do to make the experience better, more convenient, better price, et cetera. What are your thoughts? Yeah, I, I think, I think consumers like having the option. You know, they, they like kind of the two pieces of paper and saying, here's your, you know, I've, I've gotten you an instant offer from Zillow and open door and offer pad. Here's, here's what they are. Right. If we bring your house to market today, this is what I think we can get for it. You know, and here's your kind of standard CMA to to kind of build up to that. People, people like the choice. I, I think a bad strategy 
is bad mouthing the eye buyers. A bad strategy is ignoring them, right? You got to kind of, and, and if you're an agent and you're doing that, you can still make money. I mean, there's yep. these, the eye buyers will give you a referral fee if you bring yep. them business. Yep. Um, many realtors still charge a homeowner a commission if they sell to a, um, you know, if they sell to an eye buyer. Right. You know, if you're a realtor, you can make money either way. Exactly. Um, and it's commensurate with the amount of work you put in and, and all of that. So I, I, if it were me, I would be kind of completely open and honest about all these options. And, and I'd position myself as the local expert, not just in the neighborhood, but with all the different business models. Bingo. You know? Bingo. Love it. Um, so if we think it, you know, if we think in the peak markets, it's five to 6% of the transactions. And we're talking about, you know, nationally millions and millions and millions of sides. Um, does it even matter that these companies are not making any profit while they're doing this? Like, does the music eventually stop and they slow down? I wish I had a good answer to this because I the, the intuitive part of me wants to say it does matter. Like, it should matter whether a company makes or right. loses money. Right. Uh, but it just, it seems to matter a lot less, right? Yeah. I mean, you know, Zillow's been unprofitable for a decade, you know? Redfin's yeah. been unprofitable for a decade. Like, they're publicly listed companies. They just, it doesn't matter. Investors will, will you know, still put money in. So, and, and maybe that's the lesson is that, you know, and I, I hear from some folks, some agents who are like, oh, I've, I've seen this before. These companies are losing money and it's all going to come crashing down. Um, and part of me wants to believe that's true. But the, the other part of me, the rational part says, no, it's, it's actually not true. It doesn't matter. That's not how the world works. That's not how the stock market works. Right. Um, it's all about telling a story about the future. So yeah. I think the real lesson learned is if you, if you consider iBuyers your competitors, or Compass, a competitor, right? You're going up against a company willing to lose hundreds of millions of dollars every year yep. to do something. It's not because they're stupid, right? They're, they're trying to get somewhere. Yep. Can you lose $100 million in a year, right? And, and maybe you should ask yourself, well, why are they doing that? Where are they trying to get to? And should I be worried about that? Or how can I kind of work with them through the process? So sure. no, I think the fact they're losing so much money is just, um, it shows how big the stakes are. Yeah. Again, we always go back and say, hey, if there's a $90 billion commission play just on residential before you and I know where all the real money is, mortgage, closing services, title insurance, et cetera. And, you know, we'll get into all of that and more. But I want to ask, uh, I want to ask you this question. Um, you know, we kind of discussed fees, right? And we certainly know the transaction count is improving, but not in every location. My question is, do you see a price range that maybe is safe from this? Or can you see somebody in Manhattan or in Beverly Hills saying, yes, I'd like to sell my house and get an instant offer for 22 million? Yeah. Um, the, so historically, the sweet spot for iBuyers has been around 250K. Yeah. And that's, the, that's kind of the median, that was the median price in the US. Um, now, the median price in the US is around 350, right? And the median price for iBuyers is around 350. So that's that's this turnkey turnkey home. Right. And they talk about buy boxes, which is, yep. you know, the, the the how much they'll spend for a house. Um, and and again, a lot of the a lot of the press releases around, oh, we bought a million dollar house or we're expanding our buy box, we're doing this, we're doing that. But but really the bell curve of activity is really tightly clustered around that 350k price point yep. right now. It's this turnkey house in phoenix right like right. that's that's the house yeah. that works they need to be able to and turnkey is is the key thing here right they need to take possession of the house um new carpet new paint and then sell it really quick right. um and they need to know they need to know how much it's worth and how much it's gonna sell for 
So the farther you get away from that in price point or housing stock or heterogeneous housing markets, you know, Manhattan, old brownstones in the Northeast, right. like it just stopped or, or even houses in the, that have winters, right? You know, like frozen pipes and snow yeah. on the roof. Um, that all introduces a lot of risk and uncertainty into the model. So I, I don't want to say those markets are safe, but they're definitely not the low hanging fruit markets where, where people are going to be targeting. It's interesting the the correlation there between that and what we see with um, multifamily units being acquired over the last two decades. Everybody's like, follow the sun, <laughs> stay where it's warm. We'll deal with the rain and the you know the occasional floods, but we just don't want to be freezing. So interesting. Um, but that plays nicely into so so let's just say it was five percent of the market. That means that ninety five percent of customers still want an experience from a real estate professional. Um, inside this, you talk about sort of the, the real estate psychology, right? Unpack that for a little bit, because I think this is gonna help a lot of agents realize like why they are in such a good position, but you know, maybe we can reinforce it and maybe you can put a little fear in it because there were some things inside there I think they really need to pay attention to. Yeah, I, so I, I kind of consider myself a bit of an armchair psychologist. It's really interesting, you know. So as a hobby, I will read psychology books and yes. and as as I was, you know, as I was doing this research, like picture me, you know, kind of setting out in 2016, traveling around the world, reading all this stuff, talking to companies, doing this research. You know, I I was coming from a position where I was I was coming from the world of tech, and I thought, why can't I just buy and sell my house on my phone? Why is this not working? Why is nobody doing this? Yeah, and and you know, I kind of I've gone through this journey, this evidence-based data-driven journey. And I've ended up where I am based on the, the realities out there. And, and I think the reality is human psychology has a huge impact on this industry. And it's not that, um, you know, the technology can be built, but technology is not the biggest headwind here, right? Access to capital is not the biggest headwind, it's psychology. Yeah. So what I, you know, what I mean by that, and what I talk about in that report. So there's a psychological concept of loss aversion. And, you know, this isn't something I've made up. This has been yeah. out there, been studied by psychologists for decades. Right. And that, that, you know, basically says that as human beings, we're more likely to make decisions to avoid a loss than to get a corresponding gain. Yeah. Right. So I'm, I'm more likely to make a decision to avoid losing $5 than I would to gain $10. It means we're conservative. And, and that increases exponentially with the size of the transaction. So think, think about it like this. If you wanted to sign up for a, um, a video streaming service, what's the, what's the loss? What's the risk? What's the potential downside? Um, you know, it's, these, are, these are low value transactions and they're very frequent, right? Every month you pay yeah. your bill. You try Netflix, um, you don't like it, you cancel it. You've lost, either it was free or you've lost like $13. Not a big deal, right? No. Um, but then if you think about these high value transactions that occur really infrequently, the, the downside of making a mistake is quite big. Um, think about buying a car, um, yep. you know, choosing a university to go to. Uh, yep. If you were going through a, a divorce and you need to pick a divorce lawyer or like major surgery, like these are big decisions where you, yep. you want help going through that. The downside of making a mistake is huge. And, and then, you know, you see where this is going, right? Real estate is at the extreme. Real estate is typically the highest value transaction someone will undertake in their life. <clears throat> and it's the least frequent, you know, a couple of times. So what is the downside of making a mistake? It could be tens of thousands of dollars. It could be getting your kids in the wrong school district. It could be safety, right? Am I in the right neighborhood? I mean, there's right. huge downside risks. 
So from a fundamental human psychology standpoint, we want to, uh, uh, we want to kind of insure against that risk. We want to avoid it. We want someone, we want to get an expert to hold our hand through the process. And that's why, that's why there's experts, right? You know, there's, there's specialized divorce lawyers or M&A attorneys or people yeah. to, to help you through these high value, low frequency transactions. That's real estate agents, yeah. right? That they, yeah. are, they are insurance so that to, to guide somebody so they don't, you know, they, they either don't make a mistake or they feel they're not going to feel like they're about to make a mistake. So it's interesting. I mean, first of all, like I could just go like mic drop and just say, okay, we're done. Right. If you all just, so I'm interviewing Seth Godin a few weeks back and, and we were chatting about real estate and positioning and Zillow. And his response was, look, if all you do is share listings, you've already lost. Like if that, if that's your value proposition, the game is over. It's about being the hyper-local expert. It's really about being the guide. It's about being the person that could navigate through 25 offers and make the best decision, right? Like helping our customers with the things that the internet can't do. Hey, it's Tom Ferry. Question, what's your favorite social media platform? Are you big on Insta? Do you love to tweet? No matter where you answer, I'd love for you to connect with me there. All you gotta do is just type in at Tom Ferry and follow and let's you and I connect. I wanna be able to deliver the right content, the right ideas, the ways to help you grow your business, stay fired up, keep moving, be in action and run plays that work and the platform that matters most to you. So subscribe and I'll see you there soon. So, so, you know, do you feel, do you feel certain about the future for real estate agents? And if there was from this report and other, you know, other research you've done, are there two or three things you would say, boy, if I was an agent today, I'd really be paying attention to A, B and C. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm pro real estate agent, I know which is are. a big shift for me over the past four or five years. It wasn't that I was anti-agent, but it was more of why, why do agents exist? That's, right. they're not relevant anymore. Um, and I use real estate agents, you know, they provide a level of value to me that I, I can't get on my own and I don't want to get on my own. And I don't want my family to rely on me getting all that right. on my own. Right. Um, <clears throat> yeah. I, the, the industry is changing pretty quick and there's all these new business models. So you're talking about A, B and C. I mean, I, I think, you know, agents in the past and currently they need to do more than share listings. They need to be that local expert. Um, part of that now is understanding the different business models available in certain markets. It, you got to keep track of, you know, what Zillow's got on offer, Realtor.com, the iBuyers, these power buyers. Do I want, you know, are you going to buy before you sell, get a cash offer, like all that stuff. You can be that expert and you should be the expert. And that's the value you can provide to right. consumers. Um and, and then, I mean, yeah, to, to loop back to the psychology standpoint, it is, it's true, it's there. You know, there is this psychological headwind against new models. And you, you can say to someone, you know, like, okay, when you, you know, when you're, I say a little facetiously, I, I love Zillow, but, you know, you could say to somebody like, when you're done screwing around on Zillow and you want to get serious about selling your home, come to me, I'll help you through that. You know, you can get your Zillow offer. I'll go out, I'll get you three more instant offers. I'll give you a really good CMA. Um, I'll talk to you about these programs where you can buy your new home before you sell your old one. And I'm unbiased. You know, if you're talking to somebody in a Zillow polo shirt, like, yeah, there's a little bias right there, yeah. right? But the agent can be and should be totally unbiased in this space. I agree. And I think it's, it's, 
It's actually a breath of fresh air that you're saying, hey, you just need to understand all the different models so you can actually say to your customer, look, there's a lot of different ways you can do it today. And then just to say, here's all the different options. But the fact that you're the one that's doing it in a non-biased way shows your strength, that you're not afraid of these, these different models. You understand that they're a tiny percentage of the transaction. So I love that. And I think there's so much to... Um, <laughs> I met Tony Robbins when I was 18. That was the first time I met him. He was on set uh, to do an infomercial where my dad was the host, right? So he was 28, I was 18. He made his entire career on understanding that people do more to avoid pain than they do to gain pleasure. So it's interesting that you you went that direction as it relates to iBuyers. Like the, what if, what if this is the wrong route? What if we actually give up too much money? What if, you know what I mean? Like there's just so much to play with there. Yeah, yeah. No, I think it's, I think it's true. And, and nobody's talking about psychology and real estate, like, no. and they need to be, it is, it is, I think it's the most important thing. And if you look at, if you look at these new models and yeah. why they fail or why they don't get traction, it all comes down to psychology, right? right? Like, am I going to use some, like, I don't know, just imagine trying to convince your partner that you want to sell your home using a discount brokerage that you've never heard of before. Yeah. You know, like that's, that's an uphill battle. Like you want to sell our home using what and how much do they like, uh, I don't know, man, why don't you just call the, the agent, you know, like, yeah, it, it's, it's not, it's, it's nothing more than this risk aversion where you, you just, yeah. you don't want to make a mistake through that process. So it's like, if you're an agent, that's a big thing you have on your side, but don't take, you know, understand it. Don't take advantage of it. Don't take it for granted. No, no, but it is there. And, and that's kind of how you, how you can slot in. And, and if yeah. you look at these new models like Zillow and Opendoor and the iBuyers, you can see them kind of slowly realizing that in the way yeah. they've pivoted their business over the last couple of years. Like yeah. they're slowly coming around to understanding how important not just an agent is, but like the local agent. You can't just hire a bunch of people, give them your polo shirts and say, okay, we have agents. It's, it's, yeah. not, it's not that, right? No. And then we both know they're also now paying attention to where all the real money is again, mortgage, title, closing services, et cetera. Um, but I want to make a point because I know at least one of you will, will think back to uh, a podcast I did with a buddy and we're talking about, you know, he, he said without even saying his name, he said, no, no, no. You have to understand like people want to do everything on their phone. Like, could you imagine in 2020 putting your 16 year old into a stranger's car and saying, yes, go ahead and take that, you know, take him to dinner, take him whatever. And of course the answer was, there's no way. And then we look at the impact of Uber that now that's an everyday occurrence all around the world. But I want to reiterate what you said. Yeah, but I can take an Uber like five times, six times, 10 times in a day. I'm not going to buy and sell a three, four, $500,000 house, you know, more than once every 10 years. Right. So do you think that, do you think that psychology plays or do you think there's some thought in, Hey, maybe just maybe in 10 years from now, it will be like, sure. Put my 14 year old in the Uber and go. Yeah, no, I, I, I totally, I'm, I'm with you on this, you know, in Uber experience and ordering groceries online is totally right. different than buying real estate. And it's not the technology, right. it's the psychology. Yeah. So the, I think, I think it's in that report. The other thing there, there was this, um, you know, this Harvard study about, um, Oh, like artificial delays. Yeah. Yes. Like the idea. Yes. That, yes. Yes, right? yes. Yes. Yeah. The idea that the longer you have to, you know, it's good things come to those who wait, right? The uh -huh. longer you have to wait for something up until a point, of course, yeah. but the longer you have to wait, the more perceived value there is. Uh, so I think, you know, it's like, if you go into a five-star restaurant, you order a meal and then it's immediately delivered. Like that doesn't, 
that, that something's wrong, right? Yeah. You want yeah. it to take some time. Yes. Um, if you if you like file your taxes on them online on TurboTax, you know, you'll see like this little scrolling yeah. bar, like checking for this, checking for all refunds, yep. checking for this. That's all fake. Like the computer knows like that it's done, but it's, it's inserted there. Or yep. if you're, you know, on your bank's website and they're doing a security audit and there's like a little bar, those are all fake because yeah. if it happens too fast, it like, it, it sends us, it, it doesn't work in our brains, right? Yeah. It's confusing. It's like, wait a minute, that was, this was too big of a thing to happen too fast. Yeah. So if people want to delay when they're submitting their taxes or ordering a five-star field, like, do they really want a one-click mortgage or do they really want a one-click purchase? I, I don't think people do. I've, I've seen no evidence suggesting that. Like people want the transaction to be, you know, easy. And I, I hesitate to say fast. I mean, they don't want it to be too long, right? Yeah. But I, I don't want to be able to buy a house in one click. I don't trust myself. It wouldn't feel good. And, and there's just right. no evidence out there to, to do it. So yeah, just because it's, it's happening with Netflix and groceries, I, I don't think you can make this mental leap to be like, oh, and then it should happen everywhere else. Um, and even if it does, real estate is like the last cab off the rank in terms of where it's going to have, have some sort of impact because it is so infrequent, such a high value. Right. And you can even say, um, you know, chatting with so many of my friends in the mortgage space, the one click mortgage, right? The, the problem with that is usually the lack of humanness on the back end. I still want that advisor. I still want to call and go, Mike, what do you, what do you mean? Like I'm supposed to close in like five days. Why did I just get an email? Why did no human actually reach out to me? So there's, there's that balance I think between, you know, some things that we want to just hit a button and have magic happen. But I think we also still want that humanness, that connection, that person we can reach out to, that expert advisor. And, and the blend of the two, certainly in my conversations with Seth and with yourself and with others, I think that's where we see it. We want that fast, beautiful experience, but I want a human that's going to guide me and navigate through the process. 100%. And that yeah. is the hallmark of a successful model in real estate in 2021, right? Yeah. It's exactly yeah. that. It's combining both of those. Right. Bingo. So, so let's talk about power buyers. Um, even when I saw it, I was like, what does he mean by this? And then for, you know, for the transparency, I'm an investor in a company called easy knock. They do this. I've been a huge, you know, knock and others that are doing this. I think it makes a ton of sense. Now you see compass doing it real doing it. I think Berkshire Hathaway launched a product similar to this. You've seen everybody realize there's a there there. But maybe for the person that doesn't understand what we're talking about, un unpack what is power buyers and then how should agents be thinking about it in their own business? Yeah, no, good, good question. Um, and, you know, for all transparency, I'm an investor and advisor in a company called Homework, but I, I love all these companies out right. there. I mean, they're all they're all doing a really good job. Yeah. Um, I so I, I use the term power buyers to describe companies that are that are getting close to the transaction and helping buyers out, yeah. right? So yeah. I buyers are getting close to the transaction and helping sellers out. Power buyers are getting close to the transaction and helping buyers out. Yep. And they're typically two products, uh, buy before you sell and a cash offer. Yep. So I think those are pretty self-explanatory, but just to put yeah. a sentence behind each one, right? Buy before you sell. I mean, yeah, buy before right. you sell. Like, <laughs> buy before you sell. <laughs> new home with their money, you move yeah. in, and yeah. then this company lists your old home for sale, they sell it, and then you, and then yeah. you're done, right? <clears throat> and then the cash offer basically turns your offer into a cash offer, no contingencies using, yeah. using their money. Um, these are really the models of the moment for 2020 yeah. and 2021, 
because yeah. it's been a seller's market. Of High demand, low supply. How can how can I stand out? How you know everybody wants to move. Nobody. Somebody told me this once, and it's great. Nobody gets excited about selling a home. People get excited about buying a home. Yes. You know. Um, so I, I think this is a great area to to target. Um, and do you think, so they do you think get, do you think in the future? I mean, because let's let's assume that there will be a time in the U.S. and around the world where there is enough inventory. Right. Where buyers actually have choice versus, oh, my God, write an offer, whatever it takes, remove all contingencies, you know, take my three year old go, please just accept my offer. There's going to be a time and place where this would end. Do you, do you think this this product category endures the test of time or is it just in this moment? No, it's, it's a good question. And, you know, maybe there is some bias because I'm I mean, I have a little teeny tiny bit of skin in the game. Right. But sure. I and I could be wrong, but I, I think it sticks around. I mean, I, I think it becomes the 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 new norm like why wouldn't it's just a better it seems like a better way to do it like why wouldn't you do that and it's not going to be a hundred percent of transactions maybe it's not even 50 but you know what if it's a couple percent of transactions that's still several multi-billion dollar businesses that can operate right. in this space and it's a great example of how you can use access to capital um, as a competitive advantage to provide a, a cool new interesting product so i i think it has some um i mean yeah i i think it has staying power and also, the reason I, I talk about power buyers is not to pigeonhole them into this idea of a cash offer, because that's just a financial no. product. Yeah. None of these companies are doing just that. You know, they're building out entire ecosystems yep. around that buyer experience and helping somebody out. You know, so you talk about mortgage, right? You make money on mortgage and closing services. These companies, the iBuyers, their mortgage attach rate is like one or two percent. It's just not. It doesn't, it doesn't work, right? By the yeah. time you're selling a home, it's too late to attach a mortgage to it. Yeah. Um, but the power buyers, their mortgage attach rate is 70%. Which is because, bonkers. Yeah, the first thing you do when you go to the website is you get pre-approved. It's yeah. just, it fits in, right? Nobody gets excited about selling a house. They get excited about buying a house. And then they you get pre-approved to go through this process. So they're, they're able to build out this ecosystem combining finance and brokerage and closing services all under one roof to to do something cool. And I, I think the, you know, in the future, you, so there, some of these companies are, are walled gardens, closed ecosystems. It's like a brokerage, you know, so someone yeah. like Orchard, that's it. They have their own agents, they have their own service, you know, they're at other companies like Homeward and Knock, they have networks of agents. So they can, anybody listening to this can sign up for them. Right. right. And, and you can right. do that. I, I feel like, you know, in the future, there might, there's going to be you know, these services offered at hundreds of brokerages, I you agree. know, and maybe they're, maybe they're powered by a dozen companies or so with a financial muscle, but there's no reason that everybody can't offer it. And, um, and there's a really, last thing I'll say in it, there's a really interesting network effect at play with cash offers, because if you, you know, how many offers do you have to put in on how many houses and lose them to another cash offer before you start asking your agent, how, what do I do about this? What do I need to do? How do I solve this? Yeah. yeah. Are you shocked at all? I mean, again, we're both investors in, in companies that play in this space and they're both doing well. Um, are you not shocked that like Bank of America, Wells, Chase, and all these others haven't said, hi, we make money loaning money. Like we can get into this game. Like I'm, I'm shocked that they don't even, it appears that they don't even look at it. Yeah. It's, um, no, I, I am a little, I am a little surprised that there hasn't re really, there hasn't been a faster response to that. Right. You know, I mean, e well, even someone like, 
even someone like Zillow or Opendoor, you know, these, right. these other power buyers, they were out there doing this for a while and Opendoor kind of just recently launched their own cash offer product. Um, you know, I, I think I, I would be shocked if Zillow didn't launch something by the end of the year. And then you have all the traditional mortgage companies. Yeah, I, I wonder right. like what's taking them so long? Like this yeah. is a once in a generation opportunity. Why are you not going out there and, and doing this? Um, I, I don't know what the answer is, but yeah, it is a bit surprising that it's um it's been such a small playing field to date. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I agree. I actually call it empower buyers versus just power buyers. I think that like they're just they're just a vehicle to empower buyers to get transactions done and well, let's, okay, let's, let, this has been super fascinating. I can't wait to see the comments that people are going to have about this. Um, but I'll, let, let's end with really the big question. Like, what do you think is the future of real estate agents? You know, do you, do you, do you foresee, I mean, we're at 1.6 million right now in the U.S. Here's a fun fact. Uh, as of right now from RDS, our buddies over there, 9% of all commissions in the first six months of the year were paid out to call it 800,000 or the bottom half of the MLS. And then the top half, as you can imagine, took 91% of the commissions. And then when you really look at the top 1%, 5%, 10%, 15%, all the way to 25%, you could almost argue, and for my friends that are listening, pay close attention, you could almost argue, looking across the median sales price of the U.S., that if you're not in the top 25% of, of volume, let's just keep it there, volume and therefore commission, you're not even in the game. You're not even making enough money to, to call yourself a real estate professional. I don't mean that like someone that doesn't make the money isn't a professional, but like you're, you're not making enough money to live. What, what do you think happens with this? I mean, could we go to 300,000 agents or are we going to go to 5 million agents? Cause all those companies want more fees. Uh, uh, it, welcome to, welcome to my brain, Mike. This is the stuff that I'm thinking about at four o'clock in the morning. <laughs> It's interesting. It's tangential to what I think about at four o'clock in the morning, but, but from a different angle, um, I, well, there's, there's pressures at play in the industry around increasing agent efficiency. You yeah. know, and I'm, I'm thinking about Zillow, right? Um, Zillow is kind of, you know, the premier agent program is like Noah's Ark, right? And they're bringing on agents and pairs. And, and if you play by Zillow's rules, that's great. You get a lot of leads and you can do yeah. stuff. But the, the, I, you know, I think what, what everyone in the industry is doing and realizing, think about the recent announcements with Rocket and Better is, right. you know, right. this employed agent model is we can, it's just improving agent efficiency. You know, if, if I can handle sourcing leads and, and hot leads and I can bring them to agents, I don't, I don't, you know, if I have a hundred leads, I don't want a hundred agents. I actually want just 10 agents and I'll give them each 10 leads and then yeah. they can make more money. I can make more money and we're all out there. What, what I'm hesitating with is how strong those forces are. Like there's definitely, there, there definitely is that force, but I think just it's, it's probably hitting up against the incumbency of the industry right now and how it works. And that's just such a huge bulwark against change. I, I don't know if, you know, I don't think that's going to change overnight. I don't think you're going to go lose a million agents by this time next year, two years, or even five years from now. Um, it's, it's going to be a struggle, but I, I think, um, you know, I, I used to, in terms of who, who are the winners are, you know, I, I used to think it was whoever could touch a consumer first won, right? If, if you're Zillow and you get somebody to your website and they're browsing, you, you win. You got the consumer and now you can guide them through the process. But what I'm, what I'm kind of coming to realize now is it's not who can touch a consumer first, but just who can touch a consumer. 
And then once you made a connection, you build the best relationship with them possible. Bingo. Right. So that the downside with, with someone like Zillow, with a big call center and millions of leads is that they can't, they, they, you know, the Zillow employees in the call center can't make a rela- a meaningful relationship with every person. They just, they just can't do it, you know? But if you're a real estate agent, you connect with somebody locally, whether it's at a soccer game or they cold call you or they see a Facebook ad or you've gotten a lead through Zillow and you call them or you're dropping off mailers at their house, no matter how you touch them, if you're able to build a relationship with them, that's the key. And it's hard to scale that. Like you can't use technology to scale that. You you can't employ your agents and scale it. It's still just really hard, boots on the ground, picking up the phone, you know, being good with people's names and knowing their kids' names, like all that kind of relationship stuff. Yeah, it is those. And and I, you know, it's funny, like hearing like Simon Sinek say, we shouldn't be calling these soft skills because these are hard skills, right? The ability to build rapport, follow up, make a connection. Um, You know, so much of the data forever has said, the agent that wins is the one that answers the phone, right? That responds. But then you look at, um, I'm sure you know, the guys are a thousand watt, uh, you know, Mark and Brian have been longtime friends and some of the content that they're putting out now around the lack of loyalty or how do you maintain trust? You know, there, there's just, there's so many breaks in the consumer experience post the transaction when, when really I always say that's when the real, that's when the real relationship begins right? I just sold you guys a house. You're now a part of my tribe. You're in my community. But again, I'm, I'm getting ahead of myself. So, so I think we're both on the same page. We think the best will continue to be the best. Agent efficiency will always be where it's at. I'm going to go a different direction. One, one last, last question. So about three years ago, I was doing my annual conference and I threw up a slide and I said, for as long as I can remember, and I got into this industry in 1989 and I said, here's what the real estate market looked like. And it was like, you know, 90% of the transactions were done by real estate agents, seven to 8% were for sale by owner, you know, DIYs. And then like maybe one or one and a half percent were like, you know, we buy ugly houses, right? Like buying at the courthouse steps, that kind of stuff. And then I said, but then I've watched it shift. And I said, this is where I think it's going. And back then, remember this is three, four years ago, I was saying, I think iBuyer could be like a 10% of the market, right? I just, I just think there's going to be a segment of people and there's always going to be a DIY segment. But then I had this, this sort of red chunk. That all it said was attached with a referral fee. And everybody was like, oh, and I'm like, you know, relocation, agent, agent referral. So, so what I wanted people to understand was I see commission compression differently than just discount brokers. Well, now... I'm out, you know, talking to people and doing events. And I'm literally saying my prediction is in the next three years, half of every real estate transaction in the country will have a referral fee attached to it. Think about all the companies that are arbitraging. They're going directly into the vein of the real estate agent, mortgage companies, real estate companies, just pure advertising companies. I'm just curious, like, you know, you, you do a lot of research. What do you think? No, that's, it's interesting. I'm curious what the, um, do you know what that number is today? I'm trying, I'm desperately trying to get it. It's, it's, it's a hard one because how do you tell between, you know, when you're looking at sales volume, gross commission income, as it would relate to, you know, 250, of the top MLSs in the country that can, you know, control 95% of all transactions. It, it's hard to get to. We see it when we look at our, our clients numbers right? You see it because you know who's, who's on Zillow Flex, who has RDC VIP. You see who's got, you know, Quicken as a partner at, at example, and you see agent, agent referrals and you see relocation. Um, 
But I, I, I like I think about it as the blob. Remember the movie The Blob? Like nobody could get away from it, but it was moving really slowly, and it kind of just gobbled everybody up. I keep telling people like, if you don't defend your position, there's a really good chance that you'll be doing the same amount of work for half the pay. Yeah, yeah. No, now that it's really interesting. Now that you mention it, it's it it does resonate. And there is definitely a shift in the industry to do that. I mean, there's so much top of the funnel is so important. And these companies right. are spending billions of dollars to advertise and attract consumers. You know, when someone like an iBuyer, they'll buy, you know, out of all the consumers that come to the iBuyer's website and request an offer, they'll only buy 5%, 10%. So that right. other 90%, they got to do something with it. They're, right. they're going to they're gonna monetize it. It's going to be a referral fee. So yeah. these these new models are are generating a lot of that. So there's definitely um, definitely a shift in that direction. And that, and I think conversely, you know, one of the other concepts I've been thinking about over the next twelve months is this idea of kind of going from feast to famine. You know, we've been this super hot market. It's just great for everybody. A rising yeah. tide lifts all boats. It's not going to yeah. last. Yeah. So what is that going to look like? And if there's more agents looking for more business, they're going to be looking to plug into more referral networks and different areas where they can yeah. get hot leads. And guess what? You know, they're going to be paying that, paying that referral fee out. Um, so I don't, I don't know. I mean, I agree with you and your assessment. It'd be great to get some data around yeah. that to see, but um, there's definitely more of that stuff happening, not less. Right. And For I think sure. the, the macro environment is going to, going to result in even more of more of that happening as well. Yeah. Well, for my agents out there listening, my clients and friends, this is why we keep saying defend your position. Do everything you can to do as many trends with your database, but also with the content you're creating, your geographic farm, all the different things you can make yourself that hyper-local expert. Like, that's the game. I, and I think always and forever, Mike, my grandmother sold homes in Huntington Beach, California in like, you know, 1492, right? She would have said the same exact thing. It was about having my community of people, serving those people, being the unofficial mayor. And we're literally talking about 1950s selling real estate. And I, I, I just fundamentally believe it's tech with that killer humanness. That's who wins today. That's who wins. So this has been really fun, man. I know this is a long time waiting. We've been circling back and forth to do this. Uh, I, I literally have five pages of notes this is how i do podcasts I'm, I'm i'm asking questions and then taking notes like crazy so this has been really great for me and for all my listeners i know in advance um if they want to find you what's the best way for them to get to you like website social yeah no, website mikedp.com so just go to mikedp.com or type in mike delpretti into google and you'll you'll find me and yeah i just post all this stuff you know for free on my website yep. and uh dive in I love it, man. I appreciate you and I appreciate all you do in the industry. And again, like for my friends that are watching this on YouTube, this is like, so what were you doing at four o'clock in the morning? Well, let's just read all this really fast to get ready for my, you know, podcast with Mike. So thank you so much, man. I appreciate all the insight and I look forward to uh, seeing you again soon and all the best to uh, everybody down. By the way, North or South Island? North Island. We're in Wellington. Love it. Beautiful. All right. Well, give my best to the family. Thank you so much for doing what you do and we'll see you soon. All right. Sounds good. Thanks, man. Take, take care, guys. If you want more information about this episode, including my show notes, mentions, links, and everything else, make sure you visit tomferry.com slash podcast. That's tomferry.com slash podcast. Thanks again and talk to you soon.